Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer Grant Wall and SI.com Brian Strauss. We're coming to you all a day after the Montreal Impact, but within 40 minutes of creating history, uh, but fell to Club America in the CONCACAF Champions League final second leg. And Grant, they, they were close. They, they were close. They were very close. And at halftime of that game last night, I'm thinking, you know what? This is going to be history, potentially, because I thought Montreal deserved to have a one-goal lead. Uh, they played well in the first half. And you just thought maybe this might play out, this fairy tale story, which has had MLS's worst team from the past year and a half be in a position to win the CONCACAF championship and become the first MLS team ever to play in the FIFA Club World Cup. And then it all fell apart. And when you look back in retrospect, you're kind of like, wow, maybe I'm surprised it didn't happen earlier. I mean, just full credit to Montreal for getting this far in the tournament. It was a tremendous story. But there's also a reason they're the worst team in MLS. And the defense just died in the second half. America with three goals in about 15 minutes put this thing out of reach very quickly and show that there's still a very big gap uh, between teams with the payroll and quality and talent of Club America and teams with the payroll, quality, and talent of Montreal. Absolutely, and and we'll touch on the the kind of bigger picture uh, impact, if you will, sorry, uh, about about that fact especially. And, and Brian, your your thoughts on the game, I mean, it it got to a point. I mean, Montreal, they could have had a second. Ignacio Piatti had a great chance uh, in the first half after Montreal already had the lead. They had the momentum. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't make his he doesn't take his chance. And then here comes Club America in the second half, just like a freight train. Yeah. And, and I like to think they scored their four goals in honor of this being our fourth show. Um, <laughs> that was uh, that was what I was hoping for. Um, Montreal had gotten as far as they did just because they were so clutch because, I mean, they won their quarterfinal and semifinal on away goals. I mean, they were, they were advancing, you know, by a thread, by the skin of their teeth. It was close, but it wasn't, like Grant said. I mean, they were 40 minutes away, uh, but Montreal's also millions and millions of dollars away from competing with Club America. Uh, Montreal's in its fourth year of existence as a top-tier, you know, uh, soccer club. America's approaching 100 um, there, there, there are just as, as close as that game was, as close as this series was for, 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 for 90 plus 50 minutes, um, there's still a bit, a long way to go. And, and for me, the, the CCL is a Rorschach test this, you know, it, 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 you figure out what, what is important to people, what's important to, to MLS, to the clubs, to the coaches, to the players, to fans, how much people care about this thing. Um, and, and over time, it's going to become, you know, a, another differentiation point for different teams. I mean, the Impact spent, you know, probably close to a million dollars during their two training stints in Mexico uh, to prepare for this tournament. Will other teams do that? Um, you know, will fans come out to group stage games to sort of support this, the, the, the effort that these clubs may or may not be putting into CCL? So there's a lot of different ways to look at it. But, yeah, Montreal was close. Their run was impressive and fun, and I hope people enjoyed it. I hope people don't fixate on the final result and realize how much fun this was over the last two months uh, and five games. But America was clearly the better team. America outshot Montreal 49-14 to 14 over the two games. I mean, th- those are U.S. World Cup margins, you know? I mean, they were clearly the better team, 
And it took a while for that cream to rise, but it was inevitable, and, and it did in the second half. Yeah, and I mean, look, let's let's salute Montreal for what they were able to accomplish because, like we've all said, like pretty much everybody has said, it's <laughs> it's insane. I, I mean, we were all waiting for the shoe to drop. I think this is the result we were expecting in the first leg uh, at Azteca when you know America in the second half of this game in Montreal just completely took over and it was one thing after the next you know as soon as they got that first goal uh from Dario Benedetto that that great side volley uh to pull level you kind of felt the momentum going away and then it also got to the point where because of the away goals rule and this is where the debate of of whether hosting the second leg is really the advantage hate uh, it so much hate yeah. away take goals note MLS for the so playoffs much. seriously it it really you know, it came back to hurt Montreal because then the next goal they gave up to America, they needed to score two just to to have life again, and and you knew that wasn't happening. Like the I margin don't... is so thin uh, for for MLS teams in, in CCL. Like I said, the difference in money in depth is so vast. Everything has to go right, and when you're the impact, and you're and as Grant said, you're already sort of a bottom feeder, right? And you've already sort of just willed your way to this point with an almost impossible sort of series of. Of, of, of clutch plays and, and, and little defining moments, you know, to lose Justin Mapp, to lose Cameron Porter, to lose Evan Bush, and then to, to, to lose your two right backs, have to move Nigel Rio Coker back to right back where he struggled. That breaks up the, 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 the two-man sort of defensive block in midfield that had been working so well as well. So, so you, you, a team like Montreal, an MLS team that's already thin compared to its Mexican opposition, you're not going to be able to absorb that many blows and still compete. Every single thing has to go right at this point for, a, for an MLS team to win CCL. And too many things went wrong for the impact. And I will say this, that I, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but I do wish that Frank Klopas had been a little less conservative to start the second half. It was almost as if the strategy was, we're just going to try and hang on here and hope that our defense holds and absorb what America can throw at us. And I wish that Montreal might have been a little more progressive in the second half. And instead, they gave America a lot of time on the ball, and it was just an overwhelming situation as if America had flipped a switch. And then, you know, you're just kind of shell-shocked watching that game there. So, um, you know, this is twice now in the last few years we've seen an MLS team make it to the final uh, and actually do pretty well in the first leg and give people confidence heading back home and then not be able to seal the deal. Uh, and that's that's a gut punch for MLS, uh, and, and obviously the specific teams involved, the Salt Lake and Montreal. But uh, I know we want to talk a little bit about what this means in the big picture for MLS. Um, you know, what do you think, Avi? I mean, is this kind of an isolated thing, or is this part of the bigger picture? I know how I feel about this, of MLS once again not getting it done in CCL. Yeah, I mean... Look, Montreal's run gave MLS, you know, almost unfortunately enough uh, enough evidence to say, you know what, you know, with the the way things are currently structured, you can make the final and you can be within less than a half of of winning it all. Uh, but the reality of this situation, and you guys have already touched on it, is that these rosters need to be deeper with more quality, and that that's not a secret I, you know you see many players be outspoken about it during cba talks and then during the game last night even on on twitter u.s national team players hercules gomez alejandro bedoya 
and it's not the first time they've they've mentioned these things and it really isn't a secret mls teams aren't deep enough with the same quality that their mexican opposition has um i mean look where we've got five years of of the upcoming cba so I, it doesn't look like it's going to change uh anytime soon and and that's unfortunate you you do look at the teams though who are coming into the CONCACAF Champions League for next season. It's the LA Galaxy, Seattle Sounders, DC United, Real Salt Lake, and Vancouver Whitecaps. In that group are the deep deepest teams in MLS, you could argue, especially when you look at LA and Seattle. So looking ahead again next year at this time, we could be talking about a team that did overcome the odds of having these roster shackles. And in Seattle specifically, they've got Garth Lagerway who knows a thing or two about building a team that's ready for the CONCACAF Champions League. But big picture, if you're looking for sustainable success and not a, a one-off you know, flash in the pan, then yeah, I, I think it's, it's a no-brainer that these teams need to have more flexibility to spend. Brian, I, I'm pretty sure you'll, you'll echo those thoughts, right? I mean, again, to me, it comes down to a point of differentiation and, and priorities. Um, you know, yes, MLS is now bound for the next five years by a CBA uh, that while it does offer, uh, you know, while it does sort of, you know, break the free agency ceiling, uh, which is something the players wanted desperately, uh, it's not going to raise the cap to, to a point where uh, these teams can compete you know, for talent and for depth with League of Mex clubs. Um, the question is, does anybody really, really care? What, 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 is, the, what, what is the public pressure? Uh, what, what is the media pressure uh, for, on MLS teams to win in CCL? I mean, I was trying to find attendances uh, for this season CCL, and it's actually tough. Like, even if you go to the MLS website and look at the, the box scores and game reports from, like, the group stage games, I couldn't find the attendances. But I, but I did find a couple. Um, you know, D.C., when they played Alajuelense in the quarterfinals, drew 8,000. Um, the Timbers drew 9,000 for a CCL game in September. They get bigger crowds to watch someone line the field at their stadium, and they drew only 9,000. So, yes, the, the outpouring in Montreal, once they made the quarterfinals, once they, once they tied Pachuca, was immense. And you could look at a lot of reasons for that. Obviously, it's a hungry fan base that's been following a pretty terrible team. Montreal also, when I talk to people at the club, there's a sort of sense of a – there's an international bent there uh, that, that, that might lead uh, your average fan in that city to maybe care a bit more about CCL – but let's be frank, no coach has ever been fired because of a CCL failure. No player has been cut because of a CCL failure. Teams that bomb out in the group stage because they play reserves, there are no repercussions. The fans show up next week. The coaches and GMs keep their jobs. So if you're, if you're the MLS Board of Governors and you're trying to figure out where to spend your money, where is the sign from the American-Canadian soccer public from the press, from the sort of the soccer community, that this is where you should channel your resources toward winning this tournament. Um, if someone came to me and made a case that it, it just isn't as important as putting their money toward other things, you know, it's valid. It's a valid argument that this still isn't a mainstream competition that most people care about. Well, and you look at the decision that Fox Sports made. They put it on Fox Sports 2 last night. So the point. It, it wasn't even on Fox Sports 1. So it's kind of a weird situation because if you follow this and, and you, you think, oh, you know, Continental Champion, go to the FIFA Club World Cup, that's a big deal. And, and I get it. And there was definite interest from the soccer community here in this. But it's still not something like UEFA Champions League, whereas Brian says if you don't advance in your Bruce Arena, you're worried about getting fired because he won't be worrying about that. 
For me, in the bigger picture, the question is, Don Garber, the MLS commissioner, keeps saying, I want MLS to be one of the world's top soccer leagues by 2022. And surely at some point here, MLS has to become CONCACAF's best league for that to happen. And, and it better happen soon because 2022 isn't very far away. So uh, I do think this 2022 pledge by Don Garber is not entirely realistic. It's reminiscent to me of Project 2010 from U.S. Soccer back in 1998, which was, oh, well, you know, we'll win the World Cup by 2010. It's something to try and galvanize sponsor interest, uh, you know, get to get funding for the league, TV interest. You know, you have a, this is like a, a moon landing thing with the exception that unlike the moon landing, if we get to 22 and MLS isn't one of the world's top leagues, uh, then, you know, what's going to happen? Not much. I mean, U.S. soccer didn't win the World Cup in 2010 and, and not much happened, but they got the funding from Nike that they wanted and have gotten ever since. I also look right now at a question that I asked MLS recently, which was given that Garber wants to be one of the world's top soccer leagues by 22 and th that we know today the salary cap is going to be $4.2 million per team in 2019, just three years before that, how are they going to get there? And MLS tried to argue, well, we're going to have more designated players and by that time we'll have invested a lot more in youth development and we'll be producing really a bigger group of very talented young players from our homegrown ranks. And that's great to have that ambition, but I just don't necessarily see how that's going to work. Now, when you talk to MLS about his desire to be one of the world's top leagues, I, I know they're looking at in terms of the Premier League. And you look at the Premier League, which was terrible in and you wave a Champions League this year. And so I don't think MLS necessarily defines themselves as one of the best leagues when the time comes by how you perform in CONCACAF Champions League. Now, a lot of the rest of us might, but what does best mean? Well, to MLS, it also means you know, competitiveness, parity, the feeling like you get with the Premier League that every game has the chance for one of the teams to win. If Montreal had won last night, it would have been a fantastic story and a, and a great show, and I'm sure it would have made you know the the diehards, you know, the the people, either people like us or really 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 avid fans, you know, excited, and it would have been a memorable occasion. But would it would it have impacted TV ratings this summer? Would it have made any difference with the number of people who tune into ESPN or Fox for your average, you know, Sunday MLS match? Would it have changed attendances around the league? Would it have boosted sponsorship around the league? I I just I mean I think it would certainly would help a little bit of credibility. It certainly wouldn't hurt, but I, I agree with Grant. I think there's a lot more to what the in, Board of Governors imagines MLS being in 2022 uh, that that can be accomplished. That sees, winning CCL is not going to accomplish a lot of those things. Now, if they win it routinely, um, if they're you know going to the FIFA Club World Cup, if they're going toe to toe with South American and European teams, and maybe winning some of those games, that changes the calculus. But MLS is really far away from that, as we've seen. I mean, the, the amount of money spent on these rosters, the timing of the CCL, if it's something really, really important to MLS, why isn't U.S. soccer, uh, why aren't U.S. soccer and MLS bidding to host the FIFA Club World Cup? You know, bring that tournament to U.S. shores, 
show American fans what it's about, bring a bit of the excitement here, get an opportunity as the host country to see how your teams would do in those matches. To my knowledge, there's been no effort to do that, and I don't understand why. A second issue, change the calendar of the CCL. Start it in the spring, ended in the fall, just like Asia and Africa do. And those countries, and I'm sorry, those continents representatives have done better in the FIFA Club World Cup than Mexican teams because America's now got eight months to sort of cool its heels before it goes to the FIFA Club World Cup. That team could change dramatically in that time. If you start the knockout stages in the fall when everyone's in season, MLS teams will have a better chance to compete and the Mexican teams, if they win, will have a better shot at the Club World Cup. So these are things that U.S. soccer and MLS could do right now, to, or, or at least things they could try to start doing right now to demonstrate a commitment to this tournament, to demonstrate that international competition matters, and to try to sort of bring a bit of that excitement uh, to fans, to media, so that maybe they start to put more pressure on these teams to do better as well. But I don't see that stuff happening. The easy joke to make here, of course, is that if the U.S. hosted the FIFA Club World Cup, at least we'd have an MLS team get in finally. Is exactly, as and maybe and maybe people would say, <laughs> "Okay, this is awesome. This is something that really matters to me." In which case, fans start going to CCL games. In which case, maybe a coach gets fired because he does crappy in CCL. You know, but I, I mean, it can't hurt, right? And I know it's in December, but you could put it on the, you know, you could put it in California and Arizona, or you could put it in in, in the Southeast. You could find a place to play it. Um, I remember asking Garbrook, maybe it was a couple of years ago, if, if U.S. soccer and MLS had an interest in bidding to host the tournament, and, and he had said no. So uh, maybe, you know, maybe that'll change. But there, there just isn't, just to, to go back to the original point, this was a lot of fun, um, but there just isn't the public pressure on MLS, on MLS clubs from a wide enough audience, from an, enough of a segment of the media or the sponsorship to, to, to steer their money away from DPs and player development toward the kind of roster depth uh, that would succeed in CCL. Grant, I thought you were going to say the joke was that if the U.S. bid to host the FIFA Club World Cup, it would just end up going to Qatar. But... <laughs> Which it probably would. But <laughs> I actually asked Chuck Blazer uh, back in the day when he was still part of FIFA and not disgraced, uh, and he actually ran the FIFA Club World Cup, and I asked him, well, what are the chances of the U.S. ever getting this? And he was like, not good, and this is an American speaking, because whether it's Morocco or the Middle East, uh, one of the Emirates has had it before, or Japan over the years, they put up a lot of money to host this tournament, and that's not something that he thought uh, the United States was willing to do. Uh, for the FIFA Club World Cup, which, let's be honest, the FIFA Club World Cup also isn't viewed as that big a deal globally, especially in Europe, maybe more so in South America because it gives them the opportunity to play against the European champion. I think it's big everywhere but Europe. And, 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 and I mean, I, I remember being in Argentina and Brazil and hearing people talk about it like it's a really big deal. I think they really value their club's participation in it. I'm sure it's a big deal in Africa and Asia. I think, you know, sort of, typical European parochialism, uh, you know, they didn't think the World Cup was a big deal either. You know, I mean, there were there were countries that didn't want to enter the Champions Cup when it started in the 50s. So, you know, they're always slow to sort of adapt to, to, to the wider the wider world. And, and I think I think it is growing there now. I mean, I see Real Madrid wearing these these gold, you know, world champion badges on their shirts. And they, they I don't know, they seem to think that's pretty cool. I think it's becoming a bigger and bigger deal. I think anyone who competes wants to be a world champion. Um, and I and I think you know, like I said, if 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 this if this tournament, if this designation, if if international play really mattered to MLS um, and to U.S. soccer, uh, we would see evidence of that. 
Um, but right now, uh, based on the way the CBA went, based upon U.S. soccer and MLS's lack of interest in hosting the Club World Cup or being more involved on that level, it's just not a priority right now. TV ratings are a priority. Uh, expansions are a priority. Uh, you know, DPs are a priority. Player development's a priority. There are just a lot more things they care about than this. Well, hey, guys, there is going to be U.S. soccer representation uh, at the Club World Cup. Ventura Alvarado, congratulations. Uh, we'll be headed there with Club America, assuming he is with Club America come December. Um, so that's, that's something to hang their hat on. I do wonder one thing, and I, and I wonder this throughout, and this is no slight to Montreal at all. Again, we are, we are all in awe of what they were able to accomplish with the limitations and with the injuries and with the obstacles. Uh, if there was a team like a Toronto, even, that has Josie Altador and Michael Bradley on it, uh, does this does the competition gain a little more traction? There are the the household U.S. soccer names that even mainstream Joe on the street, you know, you, you explain to him that look, Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore might get the chance to go play against Real Madrid. Does that drum up a little more interest, oh, or is that yeah, it does? Yeah, of course. I mean, like any time I think you have an American entrant, uh, anytime you have uh, an entrant with you know prominent American players like Altidore and Bradley, uh, I think you're going to get more interest. You know, south of the border, and it was a great run by Montreal, but if this had been a U.S.-based MLS team that had made this run, I think there would have been a heck of a lot more interest uh, in the U.S. soccer community. Or, uh, or even Toronto, which has the correct. two U.S. guys. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's just, I think, sort of natural. Um, but, you know, uh, we'll have to wait and see now. I mean, like, I'd love to see Ventura Alvarado play it. I know Hercules Gomez played in it. Uh, in the FIFA Club World Cup. I know uh, Jose Torres played in the FIFA Club World Cup. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, we'll, we'll wait and see how, how big a deal it is this December. It's always available on TV now here, um, but it's taking place in Japan, and uh, it's kind of something in a, in a dead period of the calendar right after MLS Cup, and, and so if you want to watch soccer, you watch it. Uh, I think J- Japan could be another issue. I mean, it's it's been in Japan, I mean, all the way back to when uh, only European and South American teams played. It's been in Japan for so many years, and obviously it had a couple years in Morocco, and 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 I think it went to uh, the Emirates. But um, you know, it's hard to watch. I mean, I, I don't watch a lot of soccer at three in the morning anymore. I'm getting older, um, so it, it, there is an out of sight, out of sight, out of mind element to it. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. I think I think if if a team had had stars uh, such as there are in 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 U.S. and Canadian soccer, I think there'd be more attention. But look, that just makes what Montreal did all the more impressive. I mean, their best players last night were Ignacio Piatti uh, and, and Dilly Duca, you know, who, who are hardly household names. I mean, Piatti won the Libertadores with San Lorenzo, but he's new to MLS and he, he, he wasn't a, a big name down there. And, and Dilly Duca sort of a journeyman guy who, who, who sort of found his niche uh, in Montreal. So um, this, this was a team that lacked big name stars, uh, but still managed to go as far as they did. And look, you know, Seattle's and the LA's and the Toronto's of the world, you know, if they want to put the same investment and priority towards CCL, maybe it'll make a difference. Um, but so far, Joey Saputo has been the only guy who's been willing to ante up uh, to, to, to really go far in this tournament. Um, and I suppose they were awarded with a silver medal. It's still a great accomplishment. And don't forget Jovan Karofsky. Uh, as far as I know, uh, the only American man to be a uh, senior world champion in soccer uh, he was a substitute for the Borussia Dortmund team uh, that won the uh, what was then the Club World Cup, the Intercontinental Cup in the uh, in the nineties. There you go. the The more you know, fact of the day brought to you by Brian Strauss. Uh, 
let's let's circle back to Michael Bradley's Soccer on TV kind of tied all together. Um, Grant, you were down in Orlando, Toronto FC, Orlando City. Uh, you were working the sideline for, for Fox Sports 1 uh, that night. Got a chance to talk to Michael a little bit, uh, and you wrote, you wrote a piece on that on, on Planet Football. Um, I guess, first off, your, your take on what he had to say about, about Toronto FC and, and the project there, and then I want to hear about your sideline experience because uh, it gives you a little bit of a different perspective of the game, and, and I think it would be interesting to hear about that. Sure. Uh, you know, Michael Bradley has always been a very intense guy, a very good player, probably the best player of his generation for the U.S., uh, a guy you want to have in the foxhole next to you if you're a player. Uh, but by moving to Toronto, this was somewhat of a controversial move when you go back 15 months. A guy who was playing for Roma, uh, not necessarily starting for Roma, but a team that certainly had aspirations to get to Champions League, will be getting in Champions League in, in Europe very soon. Um, and Michael Bradley decided in the prime of his career to come back to MLS to join Toronto for a huge contract, a six-year deal. And he was saying a few interesting things last weekend, including that he firmly believes that uh, he has far more pressure, is far more under the microscope in Toronto with the role that he has there than he ever was at any point in his European club career. Um, that he's also in Toronto, where this team is treated like a major league team with major league pressure by a media and a public that takes Toronto FC very seriously and looks at how much money they spent over the years and knows they haven't ever made it to the MLS playoffs. So uh, I found that interesting. As far as the TV sideline stuff, I've been doing this occasionally for Fox, not every game, but on some games for MLS. Did it in Orlando. We'll do it again this Sunday for NYCFC Seattle. Um, it's a totally different perspective for me because over the years, if I'm just writing about a game, I'm sitting up in the press box. Whereas if I'm doing TV sideline, I am literally at the 50-yard line on the field, don't have a great view of like tactics and stuff, but have, am closer to the action than I have ever been in my life. And, and it, that is totally different. Uh, and you have to keep an eye out for everything that's happening on the field. And, and even when you're talking, because if I'm talking and suddenly... You know, with the sideline report, and suddenly a goal-scoring opportunity comes up. My whole thing, I, I've learned all this TV lingo, is lay out, which is basically shut up and let the guys in the booth go from there. Um, but it's been um, an illuminating experience uh, so far, and it's kind of fun to, to come in uh, into the action with my own report. I'll have done some pre-reporting, but then also sometimes we'll, we'll see things on the field that maybe I can add to the broadcast um, and even you know doing the post game interviews and halftime interviews has been kind of fun because um, you know you're you're on live TV and and these guys whether it's Michael Bradley or Josie Altador are coming over and and you're trying to get something out of them that's useful and it's not impossible actually I'm finding so uh, definitely a different experience but uh, enjoying it so far. The pros I would say too have to be hearing everything that's said between the benches that don't necessarily get picked up by the field mics. Uh, more specifically, the expletives. If you do a DC United game, I cannot wait to hear the report, uh, the off-the-record report, of course, of what comes out of Ben Olsen's mouth. Uh, another pro or con, depending on how you look at it, the fans chanting Mr. Clean at you. I saw that on, uh, on the Instagram feed. I thought that was 
That was hilarious. Uh, it could be different. They could have been chinning Michael Bradley at you. You got the whole doppelganger thing going on, like you were talking about before. Uh, but that's cool. And, and yeah, unique perspective for sure. Uh, you guys have all brought a, a unique perspective to the podcast yet again. I think that's going to wrap it up for us. And unfortunately, much like Montreal's CONCACAF Champions League was wrapped up for them by Club America on Wednesday night. Uh, so thanks again. For listening, everybody, we'll be coming back at you next week. Obviously, UEFA Champions League will will be taking over with the semifinals getting kicked off. Uh, and then, you know what? We are about a month away from the Women's World Cup. The Gold Cup coming right up after that. Got a busy summer ahead. Uh, so for Grant Wall, Brian Strauss, I am Avi Creditor. Thanks for listening. See you later. Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.